the potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. Because <laughs> they raping everybody out here. Should, now, a, should a Jewish I baker think, be required to bake a I Nazi think wedding Muslim cake? Millionaires and billionaires. Yeah, how about that? It feels kind of like we're up the creek. Only an alert and knowledgeable citizenry. I'm the boss. That's how about right. that? And the kids used to come up and reach in the pool and rub my leg down. Well, I'm not a crook. If we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. Had your kids, had your wife. Whole binders full of, uh, of women. You just got to keep on paddling. You know, I got talking blood, man. Streaming stuff going on, on, the, on the, the internet. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic processes. <laughs> So right now in Congress, they've been debating something called the Clean Future Act. And it's basically a watered-down version of the Green New Deal, kind of laying groundwork through infrastructure spending and all kinds of crap. But what it is, is it's full of unintended consequences. And what I mean by that is, for example, they say the green jobs are the fastest-growing jobs in the world. And... It's kind of true, they are growing fast, but as a whole, those numbers of those jobs are, are very, very low. So if you lay off, for example, 100 people from an oil job, and then you create 10 new windmill jobs, I mean, that's a lot of new windmill jobs relative to the number of windmill jobs that there currently are, but that still leaves 90 people without a job. And those 10 people that do transition into green energy, their job's not paying as well as what it was in the oil job. So there's unintended consequence number one, because they don't really be honest with the numbers. The other one is that anytime we stop producing something here in the States or we stop doing something, it just creates a market for it somewhere else. So if America stops producing oil or natural gas or whatever it is, that doesn't mean that the rest of the world stops doing it either, right? So that demand still gets fulfilled but now it's going to be countries like Russia and Saudi Arabia and China meeting that demand. And the other unintended consequence of these other countries being the ones to meet that demand is they don't really give a shit about the environment as much as we do on a bad day. So not only do you not really eliminate the fossil fuel, you make the production of it even worse. Another thing that it really ignores is nuclear power, which in my opinion, and I think anyone who sort of really considers it, right? I mean, if your goal is to get away from carbon and stop producing these greenhouse gases. You know, regardless of what you think of climate change, nuclear is really the only answer because it's the only thing at the moment that can produce enough power and not produce a ton of carbon. The problem is, of course, that nuclear is very expensive and isn't necessarily make sense for everywhere because it's expensive. But the failure to even look at nuclear has put the U.S. behind when it comes to nuclear. So this makes sense even more on the world stage because you have to figure if we're not going to let these new countries that are catching up to us in terms of market size and population use things like oil and natural gas or, or whatever, there has to be an alternative, right? And windmills and solar don't make sense everywhere and windmill and solar fail to meet the demand of people, especially in some of these new countries. So you don't have batteries to store power 
I mean, we don't even have that here in first world countries. And even people who just have solar panels on their houses, a lot of times don't have enough battery power to really make them a whole lot more than just a subsidy. So the green stuff, it, it just doesn't even make a lot of sense. Another thing in this bill that was pointed out is that it puts a three-year ban on new production of plastics, which, okay, yeah, plastic's bad, but again, go back to that, well, stuff isn't suddenly going to be no longer made of plastic, so who's going to make the plastic, right? It's going to be other countries that don't even regulate the plastic-producing companies the way that we do. An example of this I remember seeing in a National Geographic several years ago was uh, shipyards, where they they take apart old oil tankers and old shipping boats and stuff like that. We don't do that in the United States anymore, not on any huge scale like we used to because of the environmental impact, because these boats are, you know, the chemicals that are involved in cutting them apart and where do you put all this stuff and the waste and the room that they take up and the ocean, the beaches they destroy, yada, 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 the list goes on and on. So we don't do that in the United States, right? Because we care about our beaches and they're clean and all this other stuff. But it's not as if we suddenly stopped building ships and they no longer needed to be scrapped. All that work just got moved over to places like India, right? Where if you go to these shipyards, there's nine-year-olds carrying around blowtorches. Uh, the sands on some of the beaches where these boats are parked, you know, they're just soaked in old diesel fuel and oil. And, you know, people get chemical burns on their feet, stuff like that. So it's not that the work stops. It just gets transferred to places that, in all honesty, can't handle it as good as we would. So it ends up causing more environmental damage and is a greater human problem in some of these other countries. Uh, another one you have to think about is back to the plastics thing, right? So if they start just making more of this plastic in China, well, what does that mean? Well, it means the factory is going to pollute a whole bunch more and it means the workers are going to make a whole bunch less. You're just, you're allowing them to grow this problem of human abuse, whether it's through genuine pollution or just workers' rights and things like that. So it's great that we can feel like we're patting ourselves on the back because, oh, look, we care about the environment. Let's not do this here. But it just ends up getting done somewhere else. So the little little bitty tyrant that's in all of us might listen to this and say, well, okay, so let's just make the whole world stop doing something all at once, all across the globe, and then problem solved, right? Well, okay, welcome to the Great Reset. I can promise you it won't end well for the average person. So anyway, on a lighter note, another thing I wanted to talk about for this little short episode is fat shaming. I say this as a fat guy who grew up proudly being the neighborhood fat kid. Uh, I don't know, man. Like, it, it sucks being called fat and stuff like that when it does happen. And certainly I'm not, like, condoning making fun of fat people or something like that. But we're at kind of this weird point in society where... We know something is an obvious health problem, but we're encouraging a culture that just accepts it when I don't really think that's the answer. And I don't really think fat people should be, you know, proud of being fat by any means. You know, like you see the ads now of fat people in the workout clothes and stuff like that. And, you know, on one side, good for them, right? Go work out, get in shape and, and do all this stuff. But it seems that the marketing isn't so much about getting in shape, it's more of fat people can do stuff too. And I think that sucks because that's not what we should be encouraging people to do. But that being said, I'm going to go down a more lighthearted path. In the late 1800s into the early 1900s, there were fat people clubs. 
uh, particularly centered men, you know, fat men's associations and things like that was popular in a lot of the big cities. Now, the reasoning was because, well, fat people get made fun of and stuff, but also because at this period in time, we were still kind of being fat was a sign of, of success and having surplus and having a lot, right? So a lot of the fat guys were also wealthy guys, right? Which makes sense because we didn't necessarily have this gluttony of food back then like we had today. So if you had lots of resources, you could consume more and you would get fat. And so all the other fat people were wealthy and rich too. Now they still knew that they were fat and it was kind of a joke and, and whatnot. So they just went with it and they made these fat men's associations and they would have you know, big parties and competitions and baseball tournaments and stuff like that. And to get into them, you would have to weigh in like a wrestling match, you know, like one of them, I think it, you know, you couldn't be under 200 pounds and get in, which, you know, by today's standard, 200 pounds doesn't sound like a lot, you know, we're, we're taller and more muscular and stuff has moved on, but consider that back then in like late 1800s, the average height was like five foot six to five foot seven, maybe five foot eight, right? And if you were six feet tall, you were a freak right? You're unusual. So now suddenly that 200 pounds, 230 pounds, whatever is a much bigger deal. I mean, you're talking about people that are little walking basketballs. So these fat guy clubs actually lasted for quite a while up until about the 1920s, 1930s, when sort of the way we view fat people today kind of started to take over as, you know, something that's unhealthy and things like that. Obviously you have great depression, a couple of world wars. So it just kind of put the kibosh in the whole thing. But I couldn't help but wonder the connection there to what I said before about fat shaming, even though these things seem unrelated, is maybe you can embrace being who you are, recognize that it sucks, and still just get on with your life? I mean, I don't know. But I do want to wrap this episode up, and I'm going to read an article called Fat Men Dance from the Brooklyn Daily Eagle in 1890. Here we go. Bushman's dancing pavilion at West Brighton bulged out at the sides and the island shook as if suffering from the chill of an earthquake, for the Fat Men's Association of Coney Island held their annual ball last night, and when large fractions of 25,000 pounds waft themselves over a ballroom floor to the gentle cadence, something has got to give a little bit. It was hard to realize how many fat men make Coney Island home until last night brought them about. A fundamental rule of the Fat Men's Association is that no members shall weigh less than 200 pounds, and those who weigh 199 gnash their teeth and sit outside the gate. The scales from the coal yard were shifted up for the purpose of proving who was entitled to the pigs which were awarded as prizes to the heavyweights, and it was a wise precaution. So I'm not going to read the whole article to you, but from that little paragraph, I think you can kind of get the demeanor of some of this. You know, it was... Fat and being fat wasn't like the greatest, but they just kind of embraced the suck and had fun with it. And I don't know, maybe we could use more of that attitude today about some things. I mean, after all, something like fat shaming only bothers you if you're already kind of ashamed of yourself to begin with. So it's really just kind of squaring those two things. So the fat shaming shouldn't bother you if you're not ashamed of who you are and trying to hide that shame. I'm not encouraging to go out and like make fun of people, but... I don't know. I think there's something to that. But that being said, I imagine fat people fart more, which is also bad for the environment, according to Democrats and people everywhere. So stick a cork in it. That's all I had for this one. See ya.